Welcome to Revealed Truth, the audio outreach ministry of Moores Creek Baptist Church. I am Pastor Roger Barnes, and I invite you now to join me as we open the Bible, God's Revealed Truth. You this morning and for some time now, and you know, I always want to share what God lays in my heart, and specifically for the, the church I'm going to. And uh, I'll tell you, I've preached this message to our church back in the summertime. And God just brought my heart back here. And the reason is, is because of the, the impact of the message. And so you always want to ask yourself if I, and this is a prayer we pray as preachers, or at least I do, I preach me as a dying man to dying people. Because we're all dying. And there's two ways that we die, or at least there should be. Uh, one, you're dying physically. We're all aware of that uh, from the fact that you have to adjust your glasses to read, to take in blood pressure medicine. I've added that to my list now. And this Monday, I'll, tomorrow, I'll probably have to go see, I will see the doctor, and he'll probably say, you know, put you on cholesterol medicine now. <laughs> so we're all dying. You know, it's going to happen to us, some sooner than others, as you heard from the testimony. God called some home sooner and others a little bit later. But we also should be dying to self as we live for Christ. That sounds like an oxymoron, dying to self while we live for Christ. And so I pray that prayer, Lord, uh, preach me as a dying man to dying people, with the, the urgency of the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so I find this particular message to be urgent in the day and age which we live, uh, this year, 2016. And uh, it it's always has been urgent, but it's funny as you read through scriptures and you preach through scriptures and you study scriptures, how some just jump out at you more in a time of your life than it did in other times of your life. And this really just grabbed a hold of my heart. I intended it for it to be a one message on a Sunday, ended up a four message. So y'all just get comfortable. And uh, me and Roger were talking about it the other day, he, uh, or, or this morning. He said, uh, you need a time clock up there? So, no, I got my own watch. And, and uh, we both discussed what all preachers know. You know what it means when a preacher puts his watch on the pulpit, don't you? No. Absolutely nothing. <laughs> it means don't get your hopes up. I was thumbing through my notes over here, and, and uh, I heard somebody said, take one, tell Kelly to take one of them papers out. That's just too much. <laughs> so... <laughs> so uh, We'll see where the Lord takes us, but I do find the urgency of the Scripture verses when it comes to the Great Commission. You're familiar with uh, Matthew 28. Matthew chapter 28 is dealing with Jesus uh, and the Great Commission. And uh, the thing I want to get across to the churches today is that we need to, the church needs to be the church, and the Christian needs to be the Christians we need to be in 2016 more than ever before. And there's a lot of things that we find ourselves doing, but we need to be focused on what God would have us to be focused on, and that's the Christians to focus on the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's not just the preacher's responsibility, and then we dole out a little bit to the deacons and then some out to the teachers. It's every Christian's responsibility to share the good news of Jesus Christ with the lost and dying world around us. And so restaurants cook food. Coffee shops serve coffee, right? I mean, that's what you go there for. Uh, car repair shops service your car. That's why you go to a car repair shop. And so with these things in mind, you go to these places for them to accomplish the things that they are purposed to do. And the church's purpose is to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with a lost and dying world. Amen. And it's not just the church as an organization or as a body of Christ. It is the Christian's responsibility because we are the church. We are the body of Christ, whether it be Morris Creek or Sand Ridge Baptist in Monroe, North Carolina, or whatever other church it is. We are together the body of Christ and the church, the body, the Christian is to be about the purpose for our lives, and that is to share Jesus Christ with a lost and dying world. In this, I want you to, I want you to set you up to make sure you hear this right. In chapter 28, it's the last chapter of the book of Matthew. In it, we have the resurrection of Jesus Christ in verse 1. 
And it leads us to, it's a very short account of his resurrection, his appearance to his disciples, and his ascension into heaven. You have to read all the Gospels and read even into chapter 1 of Acts to get the full picture of Jesus' resurrection and the people he contacted and met with. So we have a brief uh, uh, illustration here. But in this, I don't want you to miss this because you say, well, we hear these at Easter and we, you know, we know the Great Commission and you know, this will be a breeze this Sunday. I want you to take a step back from the normalcy of reading the Bible and understanding the Great Commission and even the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Bear this in mind. If you had a loved one who was in the hospital and the doctor said, I'm sorry, his heart all of a sudden stopped and we could not resuscitate him. And how grieved you would be and how shocked you would be and how uh, heartfelt you would be in that moment. And then a nurse would come in behind him and said, doctor, he's revived. And the doctor's shocked and perplexed. And I don't know how this happened. It's, we, we pronounced him dead, but he started breathing again. And then the family's like, we want to go talk to him. And of course, they're going to tell you, be a little while, let's get him stable, stable and all that. But you would be chomping at the bits to go talk to that loved one, to hear their voice again, to see them physically again, not dead, but alive. They once were dead. And it devastated you. Now they're alive again. So you're going to want to hear the words that they would speak to you. Jesus died. He went to the cross. He bore the nails. Sin's penalty and punishment was placed upon him on the cross. And he took it all. And then he went to the grave and they buried him. Three days later, he come up from the grave. That's where we get verse 21. I mean, verse 1 out of chapter 28. It talks about him rising out of the grave and the disciples getting word of it. And then they're rushing to hear him. And we don't get all that in chapter 28. You have to read other portions of the Gospels to get that. And so they did all these things. They met with him in the upper room. And they're all excited to see Jesus. He's fixing to leave now. We call this uh, his, his ascension. He's getting ready to leave. This one that was dead and now is alive again. And he's ushering to them, issuing to them the last words before he goes. So believers, don't sit back and think, well, I've, I've, I've heard this read time and time again. Listen to the words of Jesus prior to his leaving. Because he says, this is the last thing I'm going to tell you before I leave. But he says, I'm coming back. And he's going to find out whether or not we followed his words before he left. So if you have your copy of God's Word, chapter 28, we're going to pick up in verse 10. We're going to skip over 11 through 13 because that's kind of an inner, inner story there that just gives us a little dialogue in what the Sadducees and Pharisees were doing. We're going to go from verse 10 and jump down to verse 14. If you found your place there, just to... To make sure you're staying good and awake, would you stand out of the reverence of the reading of God's Word, all who will and all who are able to and can? If you're not able to, that's fine. Reverence God's Word in your heart. I want you to pick up on verse 10. You can read 11 through 15 yourself, but it just basically tells us what the chief priests were doing behind the scenes. Verse 10, uh, maybe back, maybe back at verse 9. And as they went to tell his disciples, behold, Jesus met them, saying, All hell. And they came and held him at his feet and worshipped him. Remember, he was dead, and now he's alive again. Verse 10, Then said Jesus unto them, Be not afraid. Go tell my brethren that they go into Galilee, and there they shall what? See me. Now, don't miss this. Tell my disciples to go meet me in Galilee. And if you'll go there, 
they shall see me. Jump down to verse 16. Then the 11 disciples went away into Galilee. Where did Jesus tell them to go? Galilee. Into a mountain where Jesus had appointed them. Don't miss this. Verse 17. When they what? Saw him. They what? Worshipped him. But some doubted. And Jesus came and spake unto them, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. And God's word ends here with the word, Amen. May you may be seated. There's something very important you can't miss here. If I spend any time, it's going to have to be on this first point because this is what really jumped out at me. From the times I've preached it to the times I've studied it to the times of my devotional reading, this just literally jumped out at me, grabbed my heart. And I think it's one of the key things that is missing in the Christian's life and in the church's life. And it's reason why we don't wholeheartedly fulfill the Great Commission. That is because we are missing our daily appointment with Jesus Christ. Now, before he issued the Great Commission, he issued a, a, a charge, a challenge, or direction to say, meet with me. He told the ladies, go tell my disciples to meet me in Galilee, and there they shall see me. And then in verse 24, 16, it says, they went where he said he was going to be. When they got there where he had appointed them, that word appointed there, don't miss out on that, he appointed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. I believe the reason why we don't, here's the rest of the outline, just in case I don't even finish that portion of it. Four points behind the message here. Uh, our appointment before the Great Commission, our assurance, or no, uh, uh, Jesus' appointment before the Great Commission, Jesus' authority for the Great Commission, Jesus' assignment for the Great Commission, and Jesus' assurance of the Great Commission. First of all, it's the Jesus' uh, appointment before the Great Commission. I believe the reason why we do not lean on his uh, uh, assurance, his uh, assignment, and his authority is because we are missing this first point, and that is to go and meet with him, meet, have an appointment with Jesus Christ. Now, just these two words, to see him, is interesting. In the Greek, it literally means a person who sees somebody and recognizes them to be who they are. It's not like looking out in a crowd of people and just casually glancing across the audience and maybe maybe recognizing a few folks in here. It means to literally zero in on somebody and say, that's the person I know that person to be. I recognize them. That's what the word see here means in the Greek. He says to see Jesus, verse 10, verse 16 to 17, the brethren recognize the risen Savior, and to see him is to know him. To see Jesus Christ is to know him. He said, how did they know him? They knew him by the nail-scarred hands. When you read the other gospel accounts, it says he met up in the upper room and Thomas was missing when they had that meeting. And then a week later, Thomas is there and Jesus comes in. But before that, Thomas says, I, I can't believe that Jesus was here. You show him, show me his hands where they pierced him through and let me poke my finger there. And you let me see his side where the spear pierced through there and let me thrust my hand in there. Then I believe that Jesus is who he is. A week later, Jesus shows up in that upper room again. He stands in the midst and he approaches Thomas and says, Thomas, see me. 
Put your hand here in my nail-scarred hand. Put your fist in my side. But Thomas stopped doubting and believed. Thomas didn't reach his hand up to put it through his hand. He didn't put his fist in his side. He just said, oh, Lord, my God. And then Jesus said, blessed are those who have not seen me physically, but believe yet. Friends, I'm here to tell you, to see Jesus Christ, many of us are not seeing Jesus Christ on a daily basis, and that's robbing us of the power and the authority and the assignment that God has given us and His assurance in day-to-day living to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with a lost and dying world. The the disciples could not do what they did on their own without first meeting with Jesus Christ. And what we need to do is every day, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, as well as Sunday, is go and meet with Jesus Christ, not just in the church house, but in our houses, wherever we may be. We need to meet and see Jesus and see the nail-scarred hands of him. See the, uh, the, the spear that pierced his side. Look upon the face where the thorns were wrapped around his head and blood and water flowed from his body and from his head. We need to look at Jesus. Many Christians, so-called, don't recognize the risen Savior because you have fashioned in your minds and in our minds a different picture of who He is. This is the nail-scarred hand Savior. This is the thorn-pierced Savior. This is the spear-through Savior. This is the Lord Jesus Christ Savior. This is the Lord over sickness and over cripples and over diseases. He's the Lord over blindness, deafness, and mute, and all sickness. This is that same Lord. This is that Jesus they saw. This is the Lord of kings. He's Lord over religion. He's Lord over the church. He's Lord over presidents. He's Lord over the rich and the poor. He's Lord over Democrats and Republicans. Can I get an amen? And I'll tell you right now, the Democrats and the Republicans and even the independents need Jesus. We need to see the Jesus in America again and stop looking at the politicians and the political candidates and the presidential candidates like they can do something for America. I'm here to tell you the only one that can fix America and fix our economy and fix our lives is Jesus. Friends, I'm here to tell you, you cast your vote and you should. But my friends, every day you ought to be casting your time and your eyes Upon Jesus Christ. You'll have a more fulfilled life, a more empowered life, and a more purposeful life if you do. He's the Lord not only over these Democrats and Republicans and Independents. He's the Lord over mankind and womankind, male and female. Do you get me on this? He's the creator of all genders, and he assigns us to who we are to be. And we're not to mess with that. He's the Lord over our lives. He is the Lord over death. Somebody say hallelujah. He's the Lord over death. He's the Lord over the devil. Somebody say amen there. I'm glad he is. The devil only goes so far. It's like a dog on a chain to the Christian. He can only go so far and bark so loud before the Lord says, get back in your house. Because he defeated death, hell, and the grave. Revelation 1 says he has the keys. And that devil, that dog devil, that serpent can't go but so far. If you have him as your Lord and Savior. This is the Lord over the grave. Friends, I'm here to tell you, I've stood over many a grave here lately. In the last two months, Kelly and I have attended ten funerals. I've officiated seven. Sitting at the graveside with the family members that are weeping. I find it hard to weep because I'm rejoicing. Because there's going to come a time when these grave sites won't be a place of sorrow There'll be a place of celebration. Because I can celebrate now because of the celebration to come. The Bible tells in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 that when the trumpet sounds 
And the, that loud voice rings out. And we hear the Savior say, come up hither. Those graves will open up. And those which are dead in Christ Jesus. Now mind you, not just dead, but dead in Christ Jesus, but yet alive in the Lord Jesus. Will come up out of those graves, not them themselves, because they're already in heaven. But their bodies will come up out of heaven, uh, out of the grave. And they'll be transformed, that physical body will be transformed into a, from a mortal body to an immortal body. And they'll be caught up in the air. And then the Bible says, we which are alive and remain shall be caught up in the air with them. And so shall we be with the Lord forever. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. That's the Lord Jesus that I'm looking at. That's the Lord Jesus of the scriptures. That's the Lord Jesus we're supposed to live for. This is that Lord. To see him is to know him. Not just to see a person that you can call out by name, but to see a person you know has affected your life in such a way it's changed your life. There's too many Christians today who have seen Jesus, but their life has not been changed. That's because all they've done is seen him amongst the crowd. But when we're talking about see here in the Greek word, it means to literally know him, to recognize him. How do we do that? In our daily reading of the Word of God, we meet with Jesus. We see Jesus. In our daily conversations of prayer, that's how we meet and see Jesus. And that's the one thing I believe as Christians we are not doing. We depend upon the pastor's messages. We depend upon the messages in the songs. We depend upon the messages on the TV. We depend upon the message in our Sunday school books. And all these things, you're getting the message of God's Word. At least I pray and hope that you are. But nothing can ever substitute your personal appointment with Jesus Christ in his word that he will speak to you from and that you speak to him through prayer. You must have that, Christians, if we're going to be the church, if we're going to be the Christians God would have us to be. We've got to be personally invested in God's word. To know him is to see him. Can I tell you about the story of Moses? Well, before he was Moses... Before he was the leader of the people of Israel out of there, he tried things by his own hands and that kind of flopped. So he went out into the desert and God groomed him for 40 years. I'm here to tell you, sometimes you think, well, I wonder how long I'm going to be in this desert. Well, God kept Moses there for 40 years. And some of you think, oh man, I'm only 20 years in. You never know what God will do <laughs> to get you ready to be where you need to be. But then one day as he was walking, I believe as he was walking with God, he was raised. The Bible said he forsook the, 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 the dainties of, of Egypt to follow God. He refused the things of Pharaoh. So I believe he was serving God, even though he left out of Egypt. He went in that desert and wandered for 40 years. He didn't wander after himself or after his job. He wandered after God. But as he was wandering, you can read it there in Exodus chapter 3. It says, he was walking one day, tending the sheep, and he saw a burning bush. Y'all know that story, don't you? It was a burning bush. Oh, it's a burning bush. I mean, nothing spectacular about a burning bush. I mean, I've helped burn some bushes in my day. Even when mom and dad didn't know about it. <laughs> Probably when I shouldn't have. But what was unique about this burning bush is the bush was burning but not being consumed. The branches weren't withering. The leaves were not crumbling and turning black. It was still as green as a bush could be. As healthy as a bush could be, yet there was fire all around that bush. That's not an everyday sight, by the way. If you have those everyday occurrences and it ain't changed you, something's wrong with you. Moses said, and the scripture tells, tell you what, if you would, because you can't miss this. Turn to Exodus chapter 3. You cannot miss this. 
And I'll, like I said, if you don't get anything, this is what I want you to get. Is this appointment. Exodus chapter 3. Verse 1 through 6. You've got to see this for your own eyes. Because we're talking about seeing Jesus here. So you've got to see this with your own eyes. I'm still breaking this Bible in, so bear with me as I try to hunt my pages. Exodus chapter 3, Moses has been born. He's been kicked out of Egypt. Been wandering in the desert 40 years. Verse 1, now Moses kept the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the backside of the desert and came to the mountain of God, even to Horeb. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush burned with fire, and the bush was not consumed. Now this is where you don't want to miss this. Verse 3, and Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush is not burnt. Now notice what happened, verse 4. And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called unto him out of the midst of the bush. Are you catching that? God didn't call unto Moses and speak unto Moses until Moses turned aside to see this glorious appearing. The reason why many of us don't have our burning bush experience is because we're not turning aside. We see God do things. We see God's word, but we're not turning aside from our busy mornings. We're not turning aside from our busy afternoons. We're not turning aside from our busy nights. We're not turning aside from our busy days to turn into the burning bush of God's word and let God call unto us. Many of us want a burning bush experience, but we won't go to the burning bush. Are you catching what I'm saying? This copy of God's Word or your copy of God's Word, any copy of God's Word, is the burning bush. This Word of God is referred to as a fire, and it burns, and yet it does not consume, except it consumes that which is sinful and purifies that which is not, which is the Lord Jesus Christ's work in the believer's life. Friends, if you want God to show up and show out in your life and in your church Turn aside to the living word of God and let God speak unto you. If I can't get anything else into the heart of any believer today and in my heart as well, we need to turn aside from all the things of life that distracts us and go to God's word and let God's word speak to us. That's what Jesus told the disciples. Go to Galilee and there you shall see me. The Bible says that when they saw him, they worshiped him. You want to know why your worship is kind of floundering a little bit? Because you've not turned aside to see Jesus. You're just here for religious meeting. You're just here to go through the religious motions, but you're not here to really see Jesus. When you walk through those doors looking to see Jesus, that nail-pierced hand Jesus, that thorn-pierced brow Jesus, that spear-pierced side Jesus, that resurrected glorious Jesus, then, my friends, you'll worship. It won't matter what the songs will play, to what verses of songs are played. It won't matter whether the preacher quotes something or not. It won't matter because if you're there to see Jesus, not people, but Jesus, Jesus, not the church, but Jesus, you will worship. And what this world needs to see is people of God worshiping. Not religiousing. I think I made a new word just there. Not just doing things that are religious. I mean, they see us do that. That's why they don't want to come. That's church stuff. That's religious stuff. If they see us looking at Jesus, you ever seen somebody looking and you couldn't distract them? I mean, you just, hey, Eddie, 
Huh. What you looking at? Jesus. Our eyes fixed on Him. Worshipping Him. The word worship is an interesting word. There in the text, it says they worship Him. The word uh, literally means to adore and to reverence. But let me give you the better perspective here. When you look it up in the Greek definition dictionaries, the first thing that comes to mind in when it says they worship Him, it means to kiss. It gives a further explanation. It says, like a dog licking the hand of his master in adoration of him who feeds him and takes care of him and looks after him. Is that the kind of worship that we have? Is that the wor- That's the kind of worship we... You say, are you sure? Yes, I am. That's what the definition of that Greek word is. It's used many times in the Bible. It was used when the wise men approached Jesus... And they gave his gift, and then it says they knelt and they worshipped him. That's why I believe the wise men got saved. Because it used a word to mean that they reverenced him. I don't believe it was a reverence that they, oh, this is a new king. I believe it was a reverence to the fact that they worshipped him because they believed in who he was to be, that savior of the world. You say, how do you know that for sure? Because the Bible says that they got up and they listened to God and they walked a different way. That's a text for this coming December, by the way. Not only was it used with the wise men, it was used with Satan as well. When Satan told Jesus, hey, Jesus, hey, if you'll just bow down and worship me, I'll give you all the kingdoms that you see before you. Jesus says, oh, no, you're only supposed to worship God and God alone. And so Satan was wanting that type of worship that only Jesus deserves. It was used of the woman at the well when there was a discussion about where to worship God. Jesus said, this is how you worship. He used that word there as well. The word is also used here when the disciples saw Jesus and worshipped him. And it's used in the book of Revelations where it says that every believer will bow down before God himself and in in his presence worship him. i got to share this with you because this is talking about worship here. Revelations 4 verse 10 says, And the four and twenty elders fell down before him that sat on the throne and worshipped him that lived forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne saying, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory, honor, and power, for Thou hast created all things for Thy pleasure. They are and were created. That was chapter 4. Chapter 5 says, in verse 11, it says, And I beheld and heard a voice of many angels round about the throne, and the beast and the elders. And the number of them was ten thousand times ten thousands of thousands. You do the math on that one. Saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessings. They were worshiping Jesus there at the throne. The lamb slain before the foundations of the world. Before you and I ever existed, God knew you needed a savior. Friends, he's worthy of our worship. My question is, is why aren't we worshiping Jesus there's a, there's a, this gets off on a different subject, so I'm going to try not to chase that rabbit. I'm just going to peek him in the pen. But I'm here to tell you there are churches today that are not worshiping God in Jesus. They're worshiping church. They might be worshiping their pastor. They might be worshiping the style of music they have. They might be worshiping the programs that they're carrying in. And the pastor ain't bad and music ain't bad and programs aren't bad. But if all you're there for is those things, then you've totally missed what it means to be a Christian and to see him and to worship him. Some churches today are actually worshiping worship. Did you catch that? They're worshiping worship. Those are the folks that show up in the church and they get all excited about the style of music and the style of the building and the decorations and the lights and and the style of dress that they wear 
or the style of clothing that, you know, what's in fat or whatever. And they'll throw their hand up before the first words ever utter out of the first song. And you see them, you know, you might be, and then there's some great songs out there. How great is our God. And they're starting to sway. And my question is, do you really know how great God is? And can you do that without the music? Can you just do that by getting into this? The question is, who are you worshiping? I believe we won't get we won't get the understanding of his authority. Because in verse 17 he says, All power, which is the word the word we get authority from. All power, or verse 18, all power is given unto me in heaven and earth. We won't get his authority over our lives and in the life of this world until we meet with him. Man, I, I wish I had time. You see, the authority he receives here, when they, when they met with Jesus, the authority he says he has here, it was, it was received from God. He says, all authority has been, or all power is given unto me. It didn't start with him, it started with God. God gave it to him. He acknowledged that. He says, all, all that's been given unto me. It was received from him, from God. It was received for God. And you, I wish you could, I could pass on the, the Bible references here, but these are the words that these particular Bible verses use from Psalms to Isaiah to Daniel to Corinthians to Ephesians to Philippians to Colossians to Hebrews to 1 Peter. He says, it's give him, given him, put all things under him, set upon him, put to him, gave to him, given him, appointed him heir, and put all things. And then it follows up with these verses as the reason why. To the glory of the Father, to please the Father, and to be at the right hand of God. Jesus, this Jesus that they're seeing, that they're worshiping, says all power has been given unto me in heaven and earth. That's what was so neat. It's not only the receiving of Jesus' authority because he went to the cross, died on the cross, uh, a sacrificial death for our sins, rose gloriously from the grave, and God says everything's in your hands now. And so that means we got to turn to Jesus Christ to get to God. And so not only the receiving of his authority, but the reach of his authority. Heaven and earth. Heaven and earth. There's no bounds of Jesus Christ when it comes to his authority. Everything is in his hands. And then one of the scripture verses says, put in his hands so that he might order it and establish it. And that's exactly what he wants to do to our lives. He wants to order our lives and establish our lives for the glory of God. I've got to read just a few verses. One of, my, one of the little girls here gave me a ribbon today. And I said, I'm going to use that as a Bible bookmark. And I, it comes in handy, Brother Roger. But i got to share with you, Daniel 7:14 says, And there was given him. Dominion and glory and a kingdom that all people, nations, languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away. And his kingdom, that which shall not be destroyed. He's referring to Jesus Christ here. And then over in Ephesians chapter 1, you ought to be familiar with Ephesians, Brother Roger. You've been preaching from that, I believe. In Ephesians 1, it says here, it says, Far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name which is named not only in this world, but also in the world to come, hath he put all things under his feet, gave him to be head over all the church. Amen. Amen. God's in charge. Let him be. Did y'all get that? God's in charge of the church. Let him be in charge of it. Friends, I'll tell you what, we ain't seen what God will do if we'll just turn him loose and let him do that might be another message there. Which is his body and the fullness of him that filleth all in all. Oh, there's so many more verses. But that was the authority Jesus talked about. And then there's the assignment for the commission. He said, go ye therefore. 
I'm going to try to do this and fast forward. There's 5.6 million people. I bet you didn't know this. 5.6 million people in North Carolina alone. 5.6 million. 5.6 million. One out of every four are lost. One out of every four. I mean, do the math. If we started on the left, save, 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 lost. Save, 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 lost. I'm sorry, let me reverse that back. One out of every four is saved. That means it would be this. Lost, lost, lost. Jackpot, saved. Lost, 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 saved. Lost, 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 saved. You figure out where you fall in that. 5.6 million people. One out of every four are saved. That means there's a job to do. There's a responsibility that we bear. Jesus said, go ye therefore. This command is given to us. You say, well, unless you think it was just to the disciples. In Matthew 9 and 10, he says he's sending forth the 12. Then in Luke's gospel, chapter 10, he sends forth 70. Then in the conclusion, in the book of Acts, chapter 1, verse 8, he sends them all out. It's all our responsibilities to reach the 5.6 million in North Carolina and around the world. Did you know there's 230 language groups in North Carolina alone? I only thought there was two language groups in North Carolina, English and Southern. I mean, (laughs) I'm fluent in Southern, struggle greatly with English. Y'all know that's right. Ain't that right, honey? (laughs) If we won't go to the world, Guess what God's doing? He's sending the world to us. 230 languages. That's 230 people groups that need Jesus. I know that very well because I live in the the fastest growing county of North Carolina. One of the fastest growing counties in the United States. It's unbelievable. The work that God has for us to do. How does he want us to do it? By going. Going. You know, going and telling about Jesus is as easy as to be married and have kids. You say, well, preacher, that ain't easy. Well, I know witnessing is not easy, but you do it anyway. You mean, not witnessing is like me having a wife and telling nobody about it, trying to keep it a secret. You ever thought about that? You're married to Jesus. He calls us his bride. He's the bridegroom. So not to witness is like having a wife and not telling anybody about her. To not to witness is like having children and not letting anybody know about them. The Amplified Version of the Bible reads it this way. Go therefore, make disciples of all nations, help them to learn of me, believe in me, obey my words, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Robert Coleman said this, contrary to our superficial thinking, we never, there never was a distinction in Jesus' mind between home and foreign missions. To Jesus, all the world needed evangelism. Let me give you three things here about the assignment. Go, get, and give. The word go in the scripture here means to literally to travel. So what he's saying is as you go in your life, as you travel day to day, whether it be from here to Wilmington or to Burgall, the big city metroplex of Burgall, downtown Curry. Wherever you go, 
You're to take Jesus with you and give him to somebody. He says, go you therefore. You know what the therefore is there for? Y'all catch that now. You know what the therefore is there for? The therefore throws you back to the previous verses. What was the previous verse? All powers given unto me in heaven and on earth. Because all power has been given unto me, go therefore. Or you can reverse the words around and say, therefore, since I have all the power, you can go. By the way, you can go. Somebody's like, right now, preacher, I want to go. But as you travel in the name of Jesus Christ, and I hope that's how you live, you're to go and share Jesus. So go in Jesus' name, live in Jesus' name. And the word get comes from the, I get that word from the word teach. He says, go you therefore and teach. The word teach here is better understood in this light. It means to get a disciple. It literally means to find somebody who doesn't know and walk beside them so that they can know and follow Jesus. To become a pupil or disciple, Thyers Greek Dictionary says to make a disciple of one. It's to say, hey, you know Jesus Christ is Lord Savior? No, he's my friend. Oh, is he? Yes, he's my friend. Because I'm going over to him. Did you notice I left where I was? I'm going over. That's the meaning of the word go. You leave where you are, you go somewhere else. Travel over here and meet him along the way. No, I don't know Jesus. Can I spend some time talking with you? Did you know that you're not always going to win somebody the first meeting? Let's go have some coffee. Sure. The kind of coffee I want is the original black coffee. I don't care for all the 14 different things you add into it. Just say, oh, you you like all the 14? Okay, let's buy you a cappuccino. I got some great stories on that coffee topic. Did you notice how Jesus discipled people? Because that's what he's telling us to do. Do it like he did it. Do it like he did it. You notice how Jesus did it? Get disciples like Jesus got disciples. How did Jesus get disciples? Read the Bible. Read how he got his disciples. Matthew. Paul. Not Paul. Paul came later. He did go get him, by the way. Uh, Peter. This is what Jesus did. Jesus walked with them. He talked with them. He ate with them. He slept with them. He prayed with them. He attended church with them. He taught them. He showed them. He even rebuked them at times. All these things he did to disciple the disciples. Jesus' words, he gave them the law and the love and the labor of God so that they too could teach the law and the love and the labor of God. He gave them praying, scripture, soul winning, teaching, and and living for God. We need to be that. You say, can I do this? Yes, you can. Let me end it with this thought. Remember, go get one to make them disciple and then give them. Give them God's word. You know, I'm going to mess you up on the scripture verses. In verse 20 it says, to teaching them to observe all things. The word teach literally means to teach. I know in the previous verse I said teach. That teach literally means to make one a disciple. It's a different word actually. It means get a hold of somebody. And don't let go until they just got, they're just going to run away. And then you just go find somebody else. But if they're not going to run away, spend time with them. Say, so when you come to church, I'm going to sit with you in church. If you just come to Sunday school, I'm going to sit with you in Sunday school. I'll sit with you while we break bread in the fellowship hall. I'll meet with you at your house and open up God's Word. We'll read it together. It means you're investing your life into theirs, just like Jesus invested in our lives, so that they can get Jesus. Go, get, and give them God's Word. Not your opinions. But God's Word, not somebody else's opinions. I know there's some great Bible studies out there. If I can warn you about something, make sure that you read more of God's book than you do of somebody else's book about God's book. We've got too many Christians that are reading other people's writings on God's Word. 
We just need to read God's Word. There's nothing wrong with the other readings, but make sure you spend more time here than you do there. And make sure whatever you're reading there points you back to here. Here's our assurance. Assurance that we can see Him. You're not going to want to miss this because you just don't need to miss this either. We have an appointment that God wants us to keep so that He can assure us of His authority in life. To give us that assignment for the Great Commission to live and assure us that it can be done. And he says in that verse 20, after he gives, he says, Teach them whatever things I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even until the end of the world. Don't miss any one of the words here. All right, first word he says, lo. You know what the word lo means? King James language, by the way. It means to see. Now, if you replace the word lo, which is an old, there's nothing wrong with the use of that word. It was just that word was used back in 1611. Our word today is see. It's basically what Jesus says, I've told you all these things, now see how I'm going to be with you. That's what he's saying here. See how I'm going to be right by your side. I'm not going to leave you nor forsake you. If you'll just see that. Let me ask you, friends, can you see Jesus with you? Maybe it's because you're not with Jesus. Lo, I am with you. Notice what he says there. Lo, I am. Please don't miss that. When Moses asked God in that burning bush experience, who do I tell the people of Israel who you are? He says, tell them I am. Don't miss that. Lo, the I am is with you. The I am that says I am the way, the truth, and the life. The I am who says I'm the bread of life. The I am says I'm the water of life. The I am says I am the light of the world. That I am from the beginning of the Bible and the word that says that God created the heavens and the earth to the time that Jesus spoke here, even to now, Jesus I am with you. Friends, if Jesus is with us, there's nothing, nothing that should scare us or cause us to retreat. As he told the disciples, you will storm the gates of hell because he's with you. This is our assurance. He says, I'm with you. The word with you being the Greek means to accompany you, to participate right alongside of you. Always. You know what always means? It means always. Unto is a continuance word. I'm going to continue with you. Until this world ends or your life ends, and pray it ends in Jesus, to the end, entire completion of the world, age. That word world, I thought that was really neat. How many here is a Buzz Lightyear fan? I'm a Buzz Lightyear fan, by the way. You know, Woody and the toys. Here's that saying, to infinity and beyond. That's what he's saying here. I'm going to be with you, to infinity and beyond. So if I could reward it the, the way that Eddie would read this out, this is what it would be. As you go traveling with Jesus, teaching, discipling, and getting followers of Jesus Christ, baptizing them in his name, teaching all his word that he commanded, Jesus' presence will be with you, evident in your daily lives, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, to affinity and beyond. That's the word of God he gave his disciples after he came up out of the grave. Remember what we said? If you had a loved one that died, how would you respond when they came back to life? You'd go and you'd soak in every bit of word they had to say. You'd soak in everything they had to say. And matter of fact, years from now, you'd go, remember when they died in the hospital? Oh, that was a scary time. Remember when we first saw them? Yeah. Oh, you remember what he said? Oh, I'll never forget what he said after I saw him that day. Never forget what Jesus said after his resurrection. It's the way in which we live. It's, at least we should. We have an appointment to keep. And it's with Jesus.
Don't miss it. Because if you'll keep it, you'll see Him, you'll know Him, and you'll worship Him. Thank you for joining us here at Revealed Truth. I would like to personally invite you to visit with us at Morris Creek Baptist Church. We're located at 3107 Union Chapel Road in Curry, North Carolina. Our Sunday school starts at 10 o'clock on Sunday mornings and is followed at 11 o'clock with our Sunday morning worship service. We also have a time of prayer and Bible study on Wednesday evenings at 7 o'clock. We look forward to seeing you soon.